Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm, and quite literally because it's what I use to record both my podcasts, Everything is Marketing, and Default Alive. But I was using Riverside long before they became a sponsor. I used to use Zoom until someone interviewed me using Riverside, and I just knew that I had to make the switch. Personally, I love it because they take local recordings on each side, which gives you a reliable connection, and the highest quality audio and video tracks. Separate HD recordings, an iOS app, automatic transcriptions, it's made specifically for podcasters. People like Guy Raz from How I Built This, Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers, and even Hillary Clinton uses it, if you can believe it. Check them out and all the other features they have at riverside.fm. One more time, that's riverside.fm. On the show today is Jake Thomas. Jake is the creator of Golden Hearts and Creator Hooks. I wanted to bring him on because he went from having absolutely no experience in SEO to generating over $5,000 per month in affiliate revenue from hundreds of thousands of visitors. And he also studies YouTubers to dissect their thumbnails, titles, content, and what makes their videos great. So you'll hear about how to quickly get up to speed with SEO in 2021, how to pick profitable niches, and what YouTubers do better than anyone else. So to start out, did you ever think that you'd be blogging about golden retrievers for a living? (laughs) Absolutely not. I don't know. I thought that I was going to be in the NBA. I had like, there was no doubt in my mind. I was, I've been this size since eighth grade. So I peaked in middle school and I thought for (laughs) sure I was going to be in the NBA. Like there's no, there's no doubt about it. And then I stopped growing and all my friends got a lot taller than me. And I was like, mm. oh, I guess I have to do something else now. How, how tall are you? Um, 5'11". 5'11", okay. And yeah, I, I had was... actually, <clears throat> I had a like an identical experience where from 7th grade to 8th grade, I grew from like 5'4 to 5'9". And then going into high school in my freshman year, I grew from 5'9 to 6'2". And then I was like you know, my feet are size 13 and I was like, perfect. I'm just going to keep growing. I might be, you know, six, seven, six, eight. I can get a scholarship to college. And then I never grew again. Also never really grew into a lot of my, uh, the sort of like the frame. So I'm still not super athletic, <laughs> a little bit more coordinated now than I was when I was a freshman, but uh, definitely the NBA and college basketball aspirations were killed pretty quickly after that. Yep. Yeah. The doctor told me I was going to be like six, four, six, five. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Like I, I can be a point guard. No worries. And I was like, decent in like AU basketball growing up. And I was like, yeah, for sure. I'm playing at least in college. And then that quickly came to an end. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it harder when you're not as uh, a disadvantage right on the floor, mm-hmm. but uh, walk me through, can you walk me through like a, a brief kind of timeline of how you got to where you are today? Just like a couple of the pit stops and milestones that sort of got you to where you are today now as a full-time blogger. Yeah. So I didn't know what I wanted to do in, in college. I thought I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. So I worked with the Florida State uh, basketball strength and conditioning coach. We did like one-on-one training with the players and it was awesome. But the coach was like, dude, you don't want to be a strength and conditioning coach. It's hard. It sucks. Like you have no control over your job. Like if the head coach gets fired, then you're fired. He's like, mm-hmm. so don't do it. Go be a personal trainer. Uh, so after college, I was a personal trainer. I turned out that I like marketing. So I was running the blog for the gym and I like marketing a lot better than personal training. So, and at the time, a couple of my buddies and I, we started a a t-shirt company out of college. It was a a t-shirt with like a giant pocket on it. 
And so that was, that was wild. And that was kind of where I learned a little bit about how to be an entrepreneur. Eventually, you know, we, we quit. One, one of the guys went and got his MBA. Another guy moved up to Chicago. So we just kind of slowly shut it down. And then I got a real job, learned actually how to really grow a business. And then I started a couple other things. They all failed. And then we got a golden retriever a couple of years ago. And my wife, like she, like obviously we're both obsessed with them, but she wanted, or there was pajama pants, like with golden retriever. She's always wearing pajama pants around the house. And I thought for sure that she's going to, I need to get these for her because I know she's going to love them, but there weren't any there. Um, I looked on Amazon. I was looking everywhere for these pajama pants with golden retrievers on them. I couldn't find them. So I said, all right, like I'm going to make these because I know for sure that these are going to, so I decided I'm going to start an e-commerce store, but I don't have any money. So I'm going to kind of back that up and start a blog and then build an audience and then launch the e-commerce store after that. And that mm-hmm. I never made, I hadn't, haven't made it that far just because I found out you can make some decent money just doing it. It's a lot right. less work than having an e-commerce store. And at least to me, it's a lot, a lot more fun. There's no customer service issues and no complaints, no sizing issues with any, you know, with any e-commerce stuff, especially with clothing. So, oh no, mm-hmm. I, the color is not what I thought it was going to be, or the sizing doesn't fit like I thought it was going to be. Uh, you don't get that with a blog and with an ebook. So, so far I've kind of right. stopped that and I'm just going to do uh, content for the blog. And I'm making uh, more money than I thought I would. And definitely not like I'm not rolling in dough over here, but uh, but it's making more money than I thought I would just writing about golden yeah. retrievers. That's amazing. Well, we're going to have to explore this and, and really exhaust uh, everything about that. But to reverse here for a second, going back to the to the giant pocket T-shirts, where did that idea come from? And uh, did, did they actually sell well? They did okay. So I was talking to my brother-in-law. We were at a bar. And I think someone had like a, just some like regular pocket shirt. And then he was like, dude, what if you had a giant pocket shirt? And I was like, well, that's actually really funny. And then we were just talking like, oh, you could put puppies in it. You could put beer in it. Like, it'd be really funny. And then uh, a couple of days later, I was I, like, couldn't stop thinking about it. So I was like, hey man, do you mind if I like take this idea and run with it? He's like, sure, go. So I hit up a couple of my buddies and then we started selling them. We went, we went viral on Reddit a couple of times. We made it to the front page of Reddit one night. Why? Yeah, we, that was fun. And then Ryan Holiday has a concept called trading up the chain. So in his book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, he talks about how like you, you start, like you figure out where you want to be. And then you like, you know, if you want to be on NBC or whatever, you figure out, Hey, where do they get their sources? And then where do they get their sources? And then you start with that so that you can get a lot of PR from there. So we were on Reddit and then we were on Bro Bible and then the Chive and then oh, what's his name? Steve Harvey uh, had Steve Harvey's Thunderdome on NBC no or ABC, way. one of those two. And we ended up making it on national television from Reddit. So we traded all the way up the wow. chain to be on Steve Harvey's Thunderdome and we made like $3,000. We won $3,000 there. That's crazy. How, so how does that actually work to sort of like work your way up the chain? Do you basically, you know, you have some success on Reddit. It's kind of like step one. Mm-hmm. And then basically you're using that to go to those kind of tier two sources and saying, hey, we were on the front page of Reddit or are they finding you or yeah, how does so, that work in your experience? So like uh, Bro Bible and the Chive, a lot of their, and really like a lot of, a lot of media companies, they get their info from Reddit and from like, from other forums and stuff. Now, obviously people are pitching them, but they're also going out and looking for these ideas themselves. So we did well on Reddit. I just posted like a, stu- it was a stupid picture with my buddy. He had like a six pack in the pocket 
And so, so that went well. And like, mm. they just kind of found it from there. I pitched it to a couple people, but, but a lot of the, like, I did not pitch it to the chive. We got like a bunch of orders one like random Friday morning. And we were like, wait, are we being scammed? Like, are these bots? And then we figured out, oh, we, we were just in the chive. So, so yeah, no, they're, that's where they're getting their information. And then, you know, some other, other bigger players are looking at, you know, these tier three uh, media companies are looking at these tier two media companies saying, oh, what, what's really cool. What's resonating with your audience. We're going to use that same stuff. Hmm. Isn't that funny how like you finally make it up to like the top of the chain, sort of like if you if you know how this works now you're like oh they're just like reusing what a whole bunch of other people have already gone and done the hard work to discover and find and vet and source and they're just sort of like taking all the all the credit and fame for it exactly yeah and then the cool thing about reddit is like people are upvoting so you don't need to guess on what's going to work people are telling you what's going to work so you just roll with that hmm. yeah i find that the the interesting part about reddit is that it's hard to have like a, a strategy for it a bit because it's sort of like well they either like it or they don't like you can you know post at a certain time or in a certain subreddit and you can word it in a certain way right that sort of like pleases the moderators or like you know the vibe of the subreddit but in general it's kind of just like you know you can't guarantee that you're going to you know go to the top of the subreddit or to the front page even right that's sort of this like phenomenon lightning in a bottle a little bit Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, we, I just studied what was working on Reddit. I made a couple of fake accounts and I tried to use the language that people were using on that subreddit. Mm. I didn't say it was, hey, look, look at this shirt I made. It was like, oh, look at this stupid picture with beer in the pocket or whatever. Uh, so I just tried uh, to be as native as possible and ended up working. And it worked a couple of different times with a couple of different products. Hmm. Okay. So Head Pocket Pioneers. And then you moved on to a job and a sort of a real career in marketing. I'm also curious, so though, because you said that basically you figured out that you liked marketing through working at the gym and sort of like managing the blog for, for the gym. What was that like and how did you end up doing that for, for the gym in that position? Yeah, so I read uh, Tim Ferriss' 4-Hour Workweek in, in college and I found out, oh, wow, I really want to be an entrepreneur. And I figured out I liked marketing, I guess, you know, just getting excited about getting getting attention to products and promoting products and letting people know about them and making sales. So when I was training people, like it was it was fun, but it's like, man, I'd rather be I'd rather be kind of scheming online doing little sneaky, cheesy growth hacks like Reddit and <laughs> stuff like that. So I was writing the blog and I asked the the owner, hey, can I run the blog? And kind of it was a small it was a small like boutique gym. So we were just like one on one personal training and I said, hey, can I resurrect the blog? And then we were sending, I was writing a blog post once a week, sending it out to our email list. We started getting compliments like, oh, wow, the blog's great. Like, I really like, really like how you guys are doing it. Um, and so that was really fun. And then that's actually how I got my most recent job too, was uh, writing for a fishing company. And they're like, have you ever written? And I was like, yeah, I ran the blog at this, at this personal, at this personal training gym a couple years ago. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I've been meeting to, uh, Maybe by the, by the time this comes out, I'll hopefully have the thread published and live. I'm meaning to write a, a Twitter thread on sort of what I would do if I could, if I had to start from scratch in marketing all over again. And it all comes back to like personal experimentation and just like building up a body of work that you can go and point to and say, hey, I, I did this and here are the results. 
And I think that your story is like the perfect testament of that of, you know, we started a t-shirt company. Also, I just started writing for the blog at the gym. And, and then when you go for like a more sort of, you know, real job, quote unquote, in marketing, now you have these sort of case studies that you can point back to. And it's, it's proof. It's not just sort of theory and you know how to talk the talk, but you can actually walk the walk and you have the evidence for it. Yeah, for sure. My first job in marketing, I was designing uh, landing pages for a postcard company. And mm. I knew that I wanted to be in marketing. I knew I wanted to be in digital marketing. And they were selling postcards, but they had like this digital, this digital section of their, of their company. And I knew that I wanted to work there. So I was like, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to try to be a salesman and maybe I'll wiggle my way over to the digital stuff. So I had an interview and I bombed it. I'm like, I'm terrible at speaking. So she's like, well, you know, what would you say if a customer said this? And I was like, well, I would probably tell them this. And then she texted me. She emailed me like two days later, like, no, you're not a good fit. I was like, dang. <laughs> but then I went in there because it was a pretty cool company. And they had like monthly meetups where people could walk in and meet mm. the team to the office. So I went in there. I was like, hey, I'm Jake. Like we talked and uh, I totally bombed the interview. But is there any way that like I can still get a job here? She's like, well, let me see your resume. So I gave her my resume. She's like, oh, have you ever built website? What built websites before? I was like, yeah, I built our, our giant pocket shirt website. She's like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. Like this job would be perfect for you. So so that, you know, having uh, experience building a website, she was like, this is this would be the great job, best job for you. And it was it was perfect. Like I started from scratch, like just started our own T-shirt company and that landed me my first job and then just kind of worked my way up after that and always mm-hmm. using like my all these companies that I started and quote unquote failed at. They were just resume builders for every job and every step. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's the thing I really love about sort of filling up. And you can really do that when you're first starting your career, because like you said, everything doesn't necessarily even need to be like a success. As long as you're like going in and doing the work, you can talk about what you learn from it. Then that's the proof that people need to know that you know, sort of what you're talking about, even if it wasn't a huge success, you know, even if you started a podcast and only got, you know, 10 listeners and nine of those were family members, you know, you started a podcast, you know what it's like to do that. Or even if you built a website and you didn't get any sales, you still built the website and have something to, to show your design skills, your copywriting skills, you, you know, you know, the process in and out. And um, so in, in that case, right, it's, it's, uh, there, there is no risk. There's only upside in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't ask me how, how many shirts did you sell? She just said, have you built a website before? And that mm. was, she didn't care how good it was. She just wanted to see, oh, you have, well, take this job. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So now getting back to, to Golden Hearts, which is the, the Golden Retriever blog that you now sort of make a full-time living and more than you ever thought that you would. When, when did you realize that there was something to, more than just, you know, a way to eventually get traffic to a site that would sell, you know, e-commerce products, right? You know, dropship or some sort of like pajama set. When did you realize that it was something different or that you could had a, you know, maybe a different path that you could go down? Yeah. So I, I have like very bad shiny object syndrome. So I started the vlog and then I wanted, I started doing, I did a, like a virtual event, like a virtual summit. And that kind of flopped. I got a couple hundred leads and I made some good relationships, but like, as far as growing the business, it kind of flopped. And then I started doing like affiliate marketing on Facebook and that did, oh, there was some risk and other stuff. And then I go back to the blog and I realized that the blog was growing and growing and growing all this time while I was uh, messing around with some other stuff. 
<laughs> and then next thing I know, it's like, well, a couple months have gone by and the blog has like quadrupled in traffic. Uh, maybe, maybe this is it. Like I need, I need to stop messing around with this other stuff and start focusing on the blog because this is the one thing that's actually worked really well. And I have barely put any effort into it either. Hmm. Wow. And so at that point, uh, this was still, you know, a side project, but you decided that, you know, you could see that there was a business here. And so at that point, did you start creating content more regularly? Were you doing more formal, you know, keyword research? Were you tweaking the the site or sort of what, what did you do after that point that you realized that it had some legs? Yeah, I started diving in and creating a lot more content. Uh, I started messing with the website and trying to increase website speed. Um, and just, just creating content, figuring out what people actually want and then answering those questions for them. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what does that look like for you? Like if you were to give, you know, I don't know how, how long ago did you start actually? I started in the beginning of 2019. So about two and a half years ago. Okay. So going back two and a half years ago, what does the process look like back then for creating the content, doing the research, figuring out what people are searching for and how you can, you know, best create content that serves that, that search intent. Yeah. So some, someone just DM me on Twitter and he was like, Hey, I was thinking about doing this site. Like, what, what do you think? Like I was, I was like, am I going to set up, sign up for this affiliate network? And am I going to get this ad network? And I was like, dude, just figure out what people want and crank out as many blog posts as you can. Like, so when I got started, I thought I was going to do everything. So I write, I wrote 10 blog posts and then I started trying to get backlinks and then that kind of failed a little bit. And then I started creating a couple YouTube videos and I wasn't doing anything well. I was just skipping around mm. from thing to thing. So if I were to start over, I would just create 50, hundred blog posts and not worry about anything. I do Amazon affiliates just because Amazon is so easy to set up and you can, uh, they have a really high conversion rate. So plus like if someone clicks on your, on your, on your link and they don't buy the product that you are recommending, but they go do their grocery shopping or, or whatever it is, you're still going to make money. If they do all their mm. Christmas shopping, you're probably going to make a decent amount of money for that. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so yeah, just start. Uh, yeah. Just start figuring out what people want. Answer that, answer those questions and don't, don't worry about anything else. Just creating mm. as much content as you can. Don't worry about backlinks or anything, because if you get backlinks, like who care? Like, if someone goes to your website and you only have 10 blog posts, they're just going to leave. Um, if you're not answering their questions and if there's not that much for them to, 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 to check out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the crux for a lot of like content based businesses, well, I mean, like it is the content, right? It is the blog. It is the, the content that you're creating. So in that case, you know, were you thinking about you know, how to, how to write really well? Were you thinking about sort of like structure and outline? Are you thinking about sort of, you know, how to hack Google a little bit, right? And do some of the ICO practices or, or were you kind of just winging it and just going by the, by the seat of your pants and figuring out along the way? Yeah, I was definitely, at first I was winging it. And then I realized winging it is not a good strategy. I'm going to try to figure out what I actually need to do. So I started binging a bunch of SEO uh, YouTube channels and just watching as many as I could when I was doing the dishes, when I was walking my dog, just trying to learn as much about SEO as I could. And YouTube's awesome. YouTube University, just go and watch everything as much as you can. And then once I figured out, okay, this is how you do keyword research. This is how you write a good blog post. Then I started really making progress. Yeah. Well, so out of curiosity and for the listeners, what changed? Like, 
before you're winging it, then you sort of start picking up all these tips and tricks on YouTube and, you know, diving into the world of SEO. What did you start doing differently and how did that look on the site? Yeah. So my first few blog posts were things that I wanted to write about, things that I thought that I wanted to know. And they were kind of weird and kind of niche. So like we did puppy training and I had a couple takeaways from the puppy training class. So I was writing about those and nobody was searching for any of those things. So I ended up deleting some of those blog posts recently because they're just sitting Mm -hmm. there. They're not getting any traffic. Nobody cares. So one, the, the biggest thing that changed was one, figure out what people want. So doing using Google's auto-suggest, using Google's people also ask, using at the bottom uh, related searches, also using keyword uh, keyword tools like keywords everywhere, hrefs. I started to figure out, okay, these, this is what people are searching. And now I'm going to focus on that and just write as many blog posts as I can asking, answering those questions. Hmm. So that was the, the big were, change. Were th- yeah, the big change yeah. was just... Were you thinking about- keyword difficulty at, at all or you know like basically like trying to make like an order of operations for what kind of content you're creating out or was it just sort of you know hey i know that people are searching for this this has a lot of search volume so i'm just going to go after that and then figure out how to rank for it later yeah so with golden retrievers specifically i have a kind of a limited option limited uh op- limited number of blog posts that i can write so i wasn't mm-hmm. really thinking about keyword difficulty because i'm just going for everything it's not it's not like I'm writing about digital marketing or sales or you know anything, even like credit cards or you have a lot of competition. I'm writing about golden retrievers. And yes, there is competition, but it's not as stiff as some other as some other niches or niches, whatever you want to call it. But but yeah, so I was, I was just going and covering everything, not worrying about keyword difficulty. I did sort a little bit by, okay, like I did Ahrefs keyword difficulty. And also when you Google something, you can kind of get a feel like if it's the AKC.org and the Spruce Pets, which is another, it's a big company. If those are ranking one and two, maybe I'll save those for later. Uh, but if it's a bunch of other mm-hmm. small blogs or, or Reddit or Quora or Facebook groups, then I'm, I'm definitely going to go for that. So that's how I kind of judged keyword difficulty. I need to cover everything. There, it's a relatively small niche. So I'm just going to, I'm writing about everything. Yeah. What is, what is like the ceiling, you know, like how many, how many blog posts do you have today? How many more do you think that you'll create before you sort of like exhausted the list of topics that at least have, you know, considerable search volume? Yeah. So I just wrote a hundred blog posts on, uh, I, I, I crossed the hundred mark on Thursday. So I'm pretty excited about that. It took me a while. That was my goal for a long time. I've got about a hundred more on my hit list. And then after that, I don't know. It's getting a little. It's getting a little thin. I'm kind of stretching some things there. So that might be the ceiling. Although every time I do keyword research, I always stumble on something else. But it's not like you know. So it's around 200 blog posts, maybe 300. I'll be hmm. really happy with that. But so like the LabradorSite.com. I think it's the Labrador site. They get last time I checked, they get like a million visitors a month, and they have last time I checked a couple of years ago, they had like 700 blog posts. But what they did was they started going after terms that were not related to their, not specifically about labs. So they would do dog bed reviews and dog food reviews and some other stuff like that. So there's, that's Hmm. a possibility to get out of the niche and go for, for that's when I would do keyword research or keyword difficulty and try to see, okay, can I rank for this? Because this is not, 
in my niche and I better have a really good shot at ranking for this. Otherwise this is just going to be a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to imagine that at that point too, it sort of becomes a game of monetization more than like traffic and, and even conversions or you just need to like find higher or, you know, like more ways, uh, more, more ways to include affiliate links, different affiliate programs, positive that pay more or higher commissions. Maybe you start doing your own products. Like where, basically, where do you think about taking Golden Hearts from here? Or would you even consider starting like another sort of like pet blog? Or do you want to just keep focused and keep sort of niche down on Golden Retrievers? Yeah, there's, dude, there's a ton of options and it's really cool. Like first off, going back to like what we said earlier about starting your own business like if you were in marketing what would you do today like this type of business is the perfect thing to start one it's Mm. a good like resume builder two it's gotten me on this podcast like i could it's great for networking talking with you talking with some other people like hey i built this Uh, it's good for getting a job Uh, i could get another job tomorrow never touch the blog and i'll probably be making one two three four thousand dollars a month for the next couple years even if i don't touch it at all so it's just it's excellent product or project to go dive in. There's like, you know, obviously no downside and it could be like a mini retirement fund. I could never touch it again. And then making a couple thousand bucks. That being said, I could sell it. I'm not going to sell it probably anytime soon. I think once I kind of exhaust all my resources on, I've written all two, three, 400 blog posts that I can, I'm just going to start creating a YouTube channel pretty soon. I have, I have a YouTube channel. I've got like 10, 10 videos, 12 videos on it, but I'm going to start creating YouTube content. So just sticking with the content for now. Mm -hmm. And then I have an email list and I'll probably, I might do my partner with a, a dog trainer and do like a video course. So that's probably the next step. I've got an ebook already, so I'll probably start with info more info now i'm not a dog trainer i'm a marketer so i'll i want to partner with an actual dog trainer so we can get a quality course and i might do that i might do like a cohort based just like zoom call so that way i don't need to create anything up front it's just like hey we're doing six eight weeks let's talk about puppy training training your golden retriever puppy and that'll be it mm-hmm. so that's probably like the that's the lowest hanging fruit for me is creating that a little cohort based course where it's just zoom calls in a facebook group there's no yeah there's no like prep up front really it's i already know what these people are going to ask so we can just have a presentation so a cohort based video course or co- cohort based courses next potentially a video course after that and then maybe maybe e-commerce so i have amazon affiliates which is great because I know what people are buying. I mean, I know that most right. people are buying poop bags and and like these toys and this leash and this harness. So I don't need to guess on what people want. I already have that, all that data. So that's that's awesome. But I don't I don't think that I'm going to start a, an e-commerce store. If I do, that'll be down the line once if if the info is killing it. And if man, like we this is the only the only way to grow is for us to add e-commerce. Then I'll then I'll probably do that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't blame you. And one of the things that just came to mind was about competition as well. Are you sort of like the only, you know, real like full time blogger out there working on that niche of golden retrievers? Or like you said, there's other kind of like bigger sites like the Labrador.org or, or maybe like AKC.org even are the different types of competitors or, you know, other sites you would consider competitors? Yeah, there's a when I first started, there were two other golden retriever sites. 
Now I think there's at least 12. And then I started oh, wow. in 2019. And so when I, cause I was searching when we first got our golden retriever, we were looking up all this information because we didn't know anything. And there were only two sites that ever popped up on Google search. Now, when I search kind of some of these same keywords, these same queries, I, there's like 10, 12 different ones. So it's really popped off recently about golden retriever specific sites. There's also obviously akc.org, the Spruce Pets. There's uh, WAG and Rover. I think I think Rover is, uh, mm-hmm. is a pretty good one, and and they have a lot of data too. So that that helps them. You know, like so Golden Retriever names is a pretty popular search term, and I was ranking number one for a little bit, and I was getting like two, three hundred visitors a day from just that, and then that kind of flopped. But I think I think it's Rover. So they have like the names of all these golden retrievers in their in their database. So they have hard data right. for this is these are the mo- most popular golden retriever names in 2021. Uh, so they are currently outranking me. And I'm mad at them. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, so big <laughs> big sites and big sites and general sites. It's kind of all across the board. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting uh, challenge because, you know, of course, there's there's a whole bunch more now. It's a little bit difficult, I would imagine, to to really take a look at and, and see which ones are like seriously in it for the long run and which ones are just going to kind of fizzle out. Right. And maybe they post a couple of things and they and then they don't and they're not really competitors. And then you have these other kind of tangential, you know, related, you know, even like bigger companies like Rover and WAG, right, where those are. They're basically tech companies, right? And now they're sort of like encroaching into your affiliate marketing SEO space a little bit. And uh, and they're probably not making money off of those. Those are more just sort of like a, a traffic play to their services. Um, do you have like a, a strategy or an approach to do the competition? Or are you basically just like not worried about it? You just do the best you can and let it play out? I'm not too worried about it. I'm just really focusing on what I can control which is creating really good content. I haven't wor- worried about backlinks too much. One thing I did do, I went viral last year and I kind of I got a lucky break, but I was ranking number 1 for oldest golden or for golden retriever lifespan. And the oldest golden mm. retriever at the time was 19. And another lady, she reached out to me. She's like, "Hey, my golden just turned 20." So, I posted about that. I was oldest golden retriever. I shared it on my Facebook page and then some other big rescue shared that shared the article on their Facebook page and then it went crazy viral. I got like 500 backlinks in like a week. I got at we rate dogs Twitter I shared it and I had a thousand people on my website at one time. I thought it was a bot. Oh my gosh. What the heck is this? And then I saw like the source was all Twitter and I was kept trying to find it and I was looking for it and I finally found oh it was a we rate dogs and they had 8 million followers. Yeah, so that was that was awesome. CNN uh, a couple other big companies linked out to it. That was great. And that was like my big break as far as like getting a bunch of backlinks. And then I did the 2021 Golden Retriever Owners Report. And so I just mentioned, I think it was Rover that got had the, all that data. And I was like, man, that's that's what I need to do. I need to go get data. So I had a survey. It was like 20 questions. I got 600 people to fill that out. Uh, I got a bunch of leads from that, and then I got a bunch of data that was great, and that's helped me rank for a couple of different ones, and it's gotten me a couple, a couple of different blog posts, and it's gotten me a couple of backlinks from that as well. So I'm not doing any spammy backlinks. I'm gonna, I'll probably start guest posting a little bit, but that's really all as far as backlinks go. That's my only strategy, but I'm just really focusing on how do I create the best content. Yeah, yeah, and ultimately, like you said, that that is the 
the thing you can control the most and so sort of warrants that you put the most effort and time there rather than sort of worrying about things that you really can't and sort of overthinking it. The backlink piece is interesting because uh, sort of like this question about the future of Google and SEO and sort of like what are the ranking factors or backlinks become you know, more important, less important over time, the quality or type of backlinks. Do you think that that's going to be, you know, a big factor moving forward or is it sort of just like a nice to have or something that, you know, kickstarts what you're working on? That's a great question. You know, obviously that's the the million dollar question. What will Google, what will Google care about in the next few years? Uh, I can see it. I can see them not caring about backlinks. You know, there's gotta be other ways that they can rank a website's authority, but they're never going to discount quality content. So that's just, that's the one thing that will always be there. So that's, you know, the, the best thing that you can focus on is creating the best content. So I just hired a dog trainer to write about kind of the technical training stuff that I don't know about, like anxiety and barking and just a couple deep dog training stuff and uh, dog training topics. So, and she's done a great job. She writes like 4,000 word articles about some seemingly easy or seemingly shallow topic so she yeah she wrote four thousand <laughs> words about about barking like, wow yeah so so that's what i'm investing is is in is the best content yeah yeah do you think that you would if you if you knew what you knew now go back and sort of outsource some of that writing earlier on or would you do the same that you did before and just sort of like bootstrap it yourself and you know, put in the work to, you know, to create those, you know, hundred articles yourself. Yeah. So I would, I would definitely start myself. If I was to do it over again, I would start writing them myself. One, I mean, you, you need to know your niche. Um, you need to know how to write. Otherwise you can't judge good writing. You know, if you hire somebody and you don't know what you're looking for, they might be writing, they might have terrible writing skills and you're like, Oh, this is, this is complete. Let me just slap it on my blog. So yeah, I think it's, I would, if I were to do something over again, I would learn my niche, learn what my audience wants, write the couple, the first few, and then maybe if I was, if I was uh, confident that I could make enough money, then I would hire, then I would outsource writing mm. after that. Yeah, yeah. One more piece on the monetization, um, kind of part of this whole uh, equation. Just wondering, like, what are you know? So obviously, it's most of it's through affiliate. You also have an ebook. Um, just break down really quick. You don't have to give like hard concrete numbers if you don't want to, but just like a overview of how the blog actually makes money and the different categories and sort of like split between where the revenue comes from. Yeah. So I have about half of my income comes from ads on the site and my ad network is Mediavine and they're awesome. Uh, I really love like their service and their community is great. So I know I'm just a plug, a plug for Mediavine, but, but they're great. So half of that, half of my income comes from that. The next 25 to 30% comes from Amazon affiliates. And then after that is Chewy affiliates, my ebook and AdSense ads on my YouTube channel. Hmm. Okay. So speaking of YouTube, that was the next place I wanted to, to get into. What brings you to YouTube? Why is that one of sort of like the next... Uh, things you want to pioneer and, uh, and get into to expand the blog. So in my old job, I was, I was kind of our channel manager. So I knew the power of YouTube and I've, I have, t- I think 10 or 12 videos on YouTube. I have 11,000 subscribers for 10 videos, which is, wow. yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, 
<laughs> I know. T- I, talking about my, my shiny object syndrome, I made like 10 videos and then I just left it. And one of them is ranking. They're all ranking for pretty good keywords, but one has like 400,000 views for like how to stop wow. your puppy from crying in the crate. So I'm, <laughs> I currently last checked, I'm ranking number two there. And I think it has over 400,000 views, maybe 450. And it, so I have 11,000 subscribers. I'm like, wow, YouTube is just easy. They're like, anybody can write a blog post, <laughs> but not anybody can, can make a YouTube video because it's a lot harder. People mm. don't want to put their face on camera. And I, yeah, there's just a lot less competition. So there's that. I also, I just love the, the fact that YouTube and the creator are on the same, where they have the same incentives. So with Google, Google wants to keep people on their site. That's why they're doing these people also ask. So I rank number one for black golden retrievers. And that's kind of surprisingly a popular search. And I used to get like 150, 100 people to that page every day. And then Google started doing the people also ask, right? There's like the this, this snippet and then people also ask and then me. So hmm. all the questions that people would want to know are answered in the people also ask. So that, that, that blog post has lost like 40% of its traffic over the past like six wow. months. So it's, I'm, I'm getting like 50 or 60 a day where I used to get hundred, 150 a day. So Google and my blog are not incentivized by the same thing. And that kind of makes me mad. Uh, and it also makes me worried about the future of blogging. Whereas YouTube if somebody watches 10 of my videos, YouTube is going to keep showing, YouTube is going to make more money and I'm going to make more money. So we each make more money. So YouTube is going to keep promoting my channel, whereas Google wants to keep people on their page so that they can make money and take away traffic that they used to send to me. So I'm excited about right. the, yeah, the future of, of YouTube and how incentives are aligned with the platform and the creators. I'm also excited about the fact that it's a search and a discovery platform. So hmm. people, yes, like I'm ranking well in search for some videos, but like suggested videos and just popping up on their homepage, like you can make, you can get a ton of views from that. And that's where like yeah. the majority yeah. of YouTube views come from. YouTube really does have like this really unique combination of mechanisms that help creators. Like you said, that like Google, it's entirely search-based right that's quite literally what it is like twitter is a lot more maybe like discovery like it sort of just like pops up right or something gets shared or retweeted and then you have something like podcasts which are like the hardest thing to grow (laughs) and to share in the entire world which makes my job a lot of other podcasters job really really difficult because once you have someone as as a subscriber it's you know it's week after week you have downloads and you have listeners and you have great retention but it's getting those people in the first place. It's really hard because there is no search and there is no discoverability. And so if YouTube has two, two of those three, right? If you kind of do like search discovery and retention as kind of like the three magic, you know, formulas or kind of like pieces of, of that equation, YouTube has two of those and, and two is much, much better than one. It's kind of like this exponential curve, if you will. Yeah. And then even like retention they have, you can subscribe as well. So they really, yeah. they have all of it. So it's very creator friendly incentives are aligned. So it's, it's exciting. And also, so my other project is creator hooks. And the, the thing that YouTube has is transparency. So you can see what mm. works. You don't have to guess with a blog post. If I see something is ranking number one, 
it might be the best on that topic, but they also just might have more backlinks. Like they might have a, a bigger site. Their site has been around forever. But with YouTube, you see the date it was published. You see how many views it gets. So you can tell, okay, this works. Like this, this title, this thumbnail, this topic, all this works. So just as a kind of talking about swipe files, like, dude, you can you can just study YouTube and, and figure out what, what your audience likes and you can, and, and there's no guessing there's no, Oh, you know, it might be because they have more backlinks. It might be because, you know, this person's mm. has just a really old massive website. No, you know, for sure that this is how many views and this is why. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, I thought about that a while back where, you know, YouTube is like, if every blog had like a live count at the top that said how many page views this this, you know, this particular article or page has had for its entire life, right? And like when it was published and, you know, and then there's like all the comments as well. And it's like, it's just this full transparent history on every single YouTube video, which can be both a blessing and a curse because there's some social proof there as well, right? So if you're, you know, really small, then you might, you, know, you might not get clicked on because someone else has more subscribers, more views already, more social proof in that sense. But also it's sort of, you know, democratized in the sense that, like you said, anyone can come in and learn how to create the best video to rank for something or to get discovered by something. I would love for you to tell me a little bit more about Creator Hooks and sort of like what you're studying in particular and how you're dissecting YouTubers and YouTube videos and trying to see what works. Yeah, so the whole the point of it is is really just trying to figure out what people click on, what makes people click. And so I'm looking at channels and let's say their last someone's last 10 videos they're all getting 10,000 views. And then one video has 100,000 views. Like why why did that video get 100,000 views 10 times the average? You know, what what is it? Like it could be the thumbnail, it could be the topic, or it could be the thumbnail or yeah, or the topic, but there's also different different ways to format your title to make people click. So after looking at like, I don't know, 100 YouTube channels every week, I'm figuring out, okay, this is this is what this is what really works. So I'm assigning kind of, I have a, oh, it's a weekly newsletter and it takes five videos every week. I've got a, a big swipe file of successful YouTube channels. Um, and so that, you know, I'm not looking at like if someone had 10 subscribers and their average is three views and then one got 20 views, you know, that, that wouldn't, that doesn't really tell you anything. But if, if someone's getting 5,000, 10,000, even like a hundred thousand or a million views, and then something got 10 times that, that, and that tells you something. So, hmm. so every week I send out five, five of those videos. I have the thumbnail and uh, the title, and I'm really just focusing on, on the title, trying to figure out what is it in the title that works. So there are several factors that I've found over and over again. So one is like negativity, which is like weird, but an example of that, two examples is the ugly truth of entrepreneurship that you don't see. So Sonny Linarduzzi made that. And then how, like the purpose of Creator Hooks is to say, hey, Corey, the ugly truth of entrepreneurship that you don't see works really well. If you have a YouTube channel, you can use that same formula for your channel. So I was talking with this guy who owns a, uh, or he has a channel in the, the mortgage market or the, the, some, somewhere in the housing market. So he made a video, the ugly truth about the housing market you don't see in 2021. So it was, it was really a similar, it was the same format. You know, he wasn't copying her video. He was copying that format and that video did like 10 times his average views. Like most of his, mm. most of his videos got 500 or a thousand views. That, that video got like 10,000 views. 
And so it's just figure, and it doesn't have to be, it's across different niches too. Like, you know, just because something worked in some niche, like you don't have to just stay in your niche. You can kind of branch out. Uh, and another example of negativity is the number one skill you're missing to make running easier. So it's not the number one mm. skill to make running easier. You just add this little negative twist that gives you some curiosity and some FOMO. And yeah, the number one skill to make running easier. And they, that did like seven times of the channel. Wow. So, so yeah, negativity, authority. This one guy, how I trained Gal Gadot's arms for uh, world, for whatever. I'm not a, I'm not a big for, oh, for Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. 84. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that did really well. Um, and then curiosity, obviously works well you know the ugly truth that you don't see let's see the number one skill you're missing why we another one was why we stopped telling friends we are debt free so that's Mm. like kind of weird like why would you why does that matter uh why would you stop and then channel makers did i stopped asking people to subscribe you should too and that did really well so those Mm. are two like kind of benign things i stopped this seemingly benign thing or i stopped this best practice and people just love that. Like, why Why would you stop that? So that curiosity works really well. So Right. You're pointing out things that are maybe like unconventional or surprising. But So I love that the, the title is one of the, the huge ones. What are other sort of big factors to you know, making a, a video and a channel successful? So a couple things. I'll just, just talking about titles in particular. Um, staying in your lane has been important. So I, in mm. the... In the newsletter, I do a flop of the week. And most of the times the flop of the week has been where somebody goes out of their of, of what their channel is expecting. So there's this one guy, he does like financial videos. Well then this other one, he's like, Oh, I snuck into I, I snuck into this boxing thing and I bet it on bet it on this YouTuber TikToker boxing thing. It was totally different than than all the other videos on his channel. And it flopped. It got like 3,000 views where mm. all of his other videos get like 10, 12,000 views. So staying in your lane and just trying to figure out, okay, this is this is what people want and I'm going to give it to them. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that has to be a huge one because YouTube, right? That's the thing about incentives. They're always incentivized to show you, you know, videos that, that they know that you're going to click on and watch all the way through, right? And as soon as there's something that's sort of like, outside of the topic or the category that has a different pace or feel or even just doesn't perform as well, then obviously they're going to sort of like cut their losses, right? And they're, they're going to stop recommending that, that video, stop showing it in the feed, and they're going to sort of like kill it as quickly as they can. Yeah. And the great thing about YouTube is that you have a quick feedback loop. So if I write a blog post, I it might rank number one in six months, eight months, 12 months. But with YouTube, you know, within like two weeks, like, oh, this is a good video. This is not a good video. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, but it's just so much faster. The feedback loop is so much faster. So you can really dial in, okay, this is, this is what works and this is what doesn't. Are there any surprising nuances or differences in strategies that like still work? For example, you know, something you would think that, you know, or something that works really well for one channel and then like an opposing strategy that also works really well for another channel. Yeah, so so I think Sean Connell was on. Is it Connell or Cannell? Okay. Oh man, My channel. It's over two. Yep, that's how he described it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sean Sean Cannell was on, and he was talking about there's education and there's entertainment. So often, if you 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 do need to entertain people while you're educating them, but 
for, but you kind of want to stay in your lane. So like something might work really well for an entertainment channel. Like I did this or whatever, but then if you have, if, if everyone's expecting like a how to video from you and you say, this is get ready with me, or I, you know, watch me, watch me do whatever, like a daily vlog thing. If you're switching that style up, that often doesn't work. So it might work if people Mm. subscribe to your channel and they're expecting that. But if you don't have, if you have a different type of channel and they're expecting a different type of a video, if they're expecting to learn something, they don't want to get ready with you. So that's right. Right. Really, uh, really knowing what game you're playing and staying in that lane. Um, like, yes, you can, you need to venture out eventually, but, but for, you know, you 90% of your videos, 80% of your videos need to be something that, you know, works. What do you think that YouTubers do like better than anyone else? You know, like, what is it really that YouTubers have a competitive advantage or really just, they, they knock out of the park and you hold them up as like the, the best example of how to do X, right? Or like if they're just like the king of, of this thing or this strategy, this tactic. Good YouTubers are very charismatic. So like like when you're watching someone's video and like they're good, you feel it. You're like, wow, you know what you're talking about. You enjoy what you're talking about. You tell a good story. You're not a stum- stumbling. Like you're not, you know, you're having fun and you're you're bringing me along for a journey. So, so good YouTubers are charismatic and they know how to tell good stories. They know how to hook you right away. Um, and that's good for no matter what industry you're in, uh, you know, everyone needs to know how to tell a good story and hook, hook the audience and bring people in. Hmm. Yeah. Beginning to wrap up a little bit, but I'd love to take a peek at your personal swipe file into some marketing examples, campaigns, ideas, landing pages, concepts that you think are worth saving. Do you have a few that you could walk me through? Maybe some of your favorites or some of the kind of, you know, different interesting ones. Yeah, so we talked we talked a little bit about what I found with um, creator hooks, which is the ugly truth of entrepreneurship you don't see. I, I love that. And I, I kind of mentioned my Black Golden Retrievers blog post earlier. The title of that is The Truth About Black Golden Retrievers. So that mm. that trend, it doesn't matter if you're... Uh, if you're making a blog post or a YouTube video or a or an email subject line, people just people love that. So, so the, the truth about the ugly truth about whatever that's one of my one of my favorite go tos. And just as far as like kind of people that I like, uh, Ben Settle. So he has he emails like five times a day, but he's my, he's my favorite for. Do you know who he is? No. Uh-uh. Okay. So he he's a copywriter. He keeps teaches people how to make money through through email email writing or emails like daily emails and just selling on emails. Interesting. But his for getting a voice, he has such a strong and such a polarizing and distinct voice. It's it's incredible. Like you read it and like you're kind of mad, but you're also entertained and you're also persuaded. But just for an example of how do you create a unique and powerful persuasive voice he's my favorite for sure and like you mean like a, a written voice yes right yes i love him i sh- I, my, I made my wife read one of his emails she's like oh my gosh he sounds terrible and i was like <laughs> yeah exactly that's him like he's polarizing he will he will make you mad but if you if he doesn't make you mad you're probably gonna love him so he's he's a great example of just how to have a strong uh, a strong voice yeah, I, I think it's the, there's kind of some parallels to maybe like the sports world and tying back to the NBA a little bit. There was different times in my life where I was I was both a Kobe Bryant and a LeBron James hater, and then like you eventually I them? converted into 
Yeah, and then I eventually converted into into loving both of them, being like some of their some of their biggest fans, because they're those types of people where, you know, maybe they rub you the wrong way a little bit, or maybe they're just like so good that you're kind of like jealous or mad, but then like they're so good and they're so impressive, and they're and they're just like so talented as well. They know what they're talking about. That you end up being a fan. You end up kind of like cheering them on, or like secretly you you build this affinity towards them. I think there's some parallels there too the written voice and sort of like this, you know, online persona and personality that you can build where you want to be polarizing a little bit, right? You want to be like distinct. You don't want to just be like everyone else and be sort of like noise. You have to be a signal. And even if people don't like you in the beginning, usually people end up coming around to you, right? If they stick around or, and, uh, and they learn to love you after they get to know the voice, right? After they get to know the way that you are in your personality. Yeah. I mean, you, like I, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I like everybody to like me, but that's just not the best way to gain loyal followers. Like I'm a huge Yankee fan and there's probably nobody I hate more than Jose Altuve, especially <laughs> since he walked it off last night and I'm still, I'm still really mad, but people in Houston love him. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't, you know, there's other people, I think it's like Tucker, like their right fielder. I don't know him. I don't love him. I don't hate him, but I lo- I hate Altuve. And, you know, mm. so you need to be, you need to be polarizing. If you don't have haters, like you're probably, you probably don't matter. You know, none of these other guys have walked yeah. it off against us in the playoffs and last night. And so, you know, so you need, yeah, unfortunately you do need haters. You need style, right? You need something that sets you apart and that really uh, brings you to the limelight a little bit. And have, have you actually, have you thought about that for like your sort of written voice and tone for golden hearts at all like do you have uh, a voice or a certain style of writing that you tend to aim for yeah so i on the blog it's mostly golden retriever moms so i'm trying to make dog mom jokes and it's like it's golden <laughs> retrievers you know so it's lighthearted, it's just kind of fun funny stuff so yeah so the voice is i am trying to trying to make it fun i hired an editor she checked out two of my blog posts and but in both times, she was like, you need to be more conversational. Like your content is great, but just add mm. some jokes here and there, add some personality. And I, I like to think of myself as a pretty good writer, but she's right. I do have a tendency to get to the point more and be a little bland. Um, so yeah, so no, I do think about that a lot. I try to add in jokes. I know who my audience is. They're all Golden Retriever moms. So, and we Golden Retriever parents are obsessed with our dogs. So, so yeah, I, I'll make jokes about, you know, letting your dog s- steal your sleep spot in the bed and then you got to go sleep on the floor or having dog hair everywhere. And like, <laughs> it's in your food, but you don't really care because you love your dog. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, that's where it bleeds the line between entertainment and education, right? You have to sort of be the, the edutainer a little bit with everything because if you're too education focused, you, you'll lose the attention and you'll sort of like you know, you won't, people won't want to keep reading or they won't want to come back to read again. But if you're too entertainment focused, then maybe, you know, there's no substance there. Right. And so you have to, you have to do the best of both worlds if you can. Yeah, for sure. Well, final question for you, Jake, when I say everything is marketing title of the show, what, what do you think of, uh, what comes to mind? Dude, I love that. I love that this podcast is called everything is marketing. That's how I live my life. Like I, I just love marketing in general and and it's everywhere. Like marketing is just communication, really. Like you're trying to, if you're writing a sales page, you're like, you're trying to communicate the value. You're trying to persuade when I'm 
dating my wife when I proposed, I was trying to get her to say yes. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I really wholeheartedly believe everything is marketing. There's a, a best way to communicate with people to make friends and, you know, just knowing, knowing the, knowing how to persuade and how to build a relationship is good for your business. And it's also good for your, for your personal life. I love it. Well, Jake, it's been an amazing chat. I love what you're doing. Kudos to you for, for doing what you have and being able to have this, you know, carve out this niche for yourself in the golden retriever space and wish you the best with uh, golden hearts. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been awesome. I appreciate talking to you, Corey. Thanks again to Jake for coming on the show and make sure to check out creatorhooks.com. If you can spare a moment, click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank him for sharing everything and let him know what you learned as well. And to wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways. Once again, SEO is not rocket science. As long as you follow the best practices, you can compete with the best. What it really comes down to is content quality. How engaging is it? How novel is it? How well-researched is it? At the end of the day, how helpful is it? Also, there's still room for more niche blogs. Every year, people uh, feel like it's saturated and too competitive, myself included. And every year, new people create profitable niche blogs. So there you have it. And finally, I absolutely love that Jake studies YouTubers. To me, YouTubers are up there with some of the best marketers because it really encapsulates so many different disciplines in one medium, in one video. Study YouTubers and you'll cover every part of marketing. So sign up for creatorhooks.com. If you've got a question or a takeaway you wanna share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.